Let's get into God's word. You can start to turn to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Um, we are in a series on Advent, and I don't know, some people have been here every week, some have been different weeks, and we are in this series, and Advent simply means coming. It's not some weird church religious thing. It's, it's a tradition in the church where we look at the coming of Christ, specifically take time to meditate on what the coming of Christ meant at Christmas time and dedicating time to that. So I thought, I thought Tom a couple weeks ago really summarized this well, and I wanted to share what he said as a way to introduce this morning. He said this, Advent is a season of longing, of suffering, of anticipation and waiting. It's supposed to teach and instruct us on the fact that life is hard, and we go through difficult times, and it feels like whatever light we have is going to be blotted out, and this runs us close to the feeling of despair. But Christmas teaches us that we must not despair, because we have reason to hope, and the light will never be snuffed out. The light shone forth in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that is just a beautiful way to express what Advent is really all about. As we've looked the last few weeks in our series called The King is Coming. That's what we're calling this whole thing. And uh, we looked at three different things. First of all, Tucker opened up with the defense of hope where he talked about hope giving us confidence in God's goodness and hope having faith in the ending that God will bring about and hope giving us courage to not give up. And then Tom brought us to the symbol of love, really, that Jesus went to the cross after he was born, and then he loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And that type of love, that cross love, is a love we don't understand all the time. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, but it's true, it's real. And then Tucker last week talked about the road to joy, that joy is not an instant thing. We know this from experience, that it's not shallow just being happy, but it's more than that. It's, it follows knowing God's salvation, and then living faithfully unto him. And so today we're going to talk about the way of peace, the way of peace. That's what we're looking at today. So let's read Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to verse 79, and look at really a story that is about pre the birth of Christ, about the birth of John the Baptist, and then about the birth of Christ. So we're going to look at this, kind of bring all the streams together in this kind of prophecy that Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, is going to give, he's going to go from like waiting for his son, who's the forerunner to Christ, talking about Christ, and then quoting from the Old Testament and bringing back all the streams of the prophesied first coming, the coming of Christ, and then the future of the church and of God's people. And so it's a pretty powerful prophecy. Um, and just so to want to set the context of it, what's taking place there is he's actually been mute for the whole gestation period of John's, um, you know, of, Mar- of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John. He has not been able to speak because he did not believe that he was going to have a kid. And so God kind of disciplined him a little bit and made him mute. And what's taking place is, as they were trying to figure out the name, uh, he wrote down on a tablet that contra the family tradition, this child would be named John. And then his mouth opens up and he speaks this beautiful and powerful prophecy about his son and the son. So let's read that, verse 67. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the mercy, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, that's Jesus, shall visit us from on on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And that's what we're gonna focus on today, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So let me pray for us one more time and then we'll dive into this uh, part of God's word. Father, thank you for the chance to meet together today. Thank you for the chance to sit under your word. And we pray, God, that you would just um, be glorified in the way that we talk about you, the way that we think about you, the way that we think about our lives, the way that we think about uh, what you would speak to us today. So Holy Spirit, would you enliven what you want to say to each one of us here um, for, your, um, for the glory of Jesus as our Prince of Peace in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are um, going to talk t- today about the way of peace in three different ways. First of all, peace is a gift that we need. Second, peace is, a, is the gift found in a person, and then peace is the gift found in an ever-expanding kingdom. So, this passage, this idea of the way of peace brings together what is and should be the uh, wonderful news about Christmas with the reality of Christmas that we often experience, You know, in Luke 2.14, the uh, angels will come to the shepherds, and he'll say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that's a beautiful statement. It's a wonderful statement. It's it's Christmas in a nutshell, just like it is with kids singing up here wonderful songs today, right? It's beautiful. And it sounds so good, but the, the problem is that really when you peel back the layers of Christmas, you find that like... Uh, the shepherds are kind of like dirty people, low people in that society, and so it's, it, it's not a, a picture-perfect scene. And then, of course, we have the idea that uh, Mary and Joseph are in this manger or this, this area that, that is really not a pretty picture as well. And that kind of starts to relate to reality for a lot of us that Christmas in our culture is sold to be like this wonderful, peaceful time, isn't it? And um, all you have to do is have lived for a little while and experience Christmas. And, and it's sometimes the opposite. It's the most stressful time leading up in the holidays. You're the most busy at work. Um, I experienced this this week. Like, I got sick this week, and it's just like, man, I've got to prepare this sermon, and my head is just banging away here. I mean, lots of sickness. It's the middle of winter, all this kind of stuff. And we tend to um, put Christmas on a pedestal in expectation, but the reality often does kind of disappoint in some ways. I'm not trying to be a bummer for your holidays here, but I'm just saying that does happen. That has been known to happen. And, and, and that really shows the reality of what we live in this world, and that is that we need the gift of peace, first of all, because the Bible says in Romans 3, 10 to 18, something I want to read, so you can turn there if you'd like to. Um, Romans 3 talks about the problem we have in humanity. And that problem 
is, simply put, a problem with us. It says, Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat's an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. You're like, thank you, Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, But that's the reality, that this is what we have in this world. Wonderful celebrations and beautiful decorations and all these things, but the reality of broken lives that don't know how to find peace. And all I have to do is just bring up a few things if I wanted from our culture today. And we'd find that we see that this is a reality, that there is not peace in our society. There is not peace oftentimes in our families. There's not peace sometimes in church community. And that's a difficulty for all of us. And as I thought about that this week, it just, there is a story that really illustrated this to me, the, the, the kind of contradiction, and that is uh, the story of the Christmas truce. I don't know, has anyone ever heard of the Christmas truce of 1914, right? If you haven't, I'll tell you the story real quick, and that is this. The story goes that in 1914 on Christmas Eve, in the very first year of, the, of World War I, supposedly the war to end all wars, which it wasn't, of course. Uh, but in this time where the, you had the English troops in their trenches, and then 30 yards away you had the German troops in their trenches. And they would shout epitaphs at each other, <laughs> cursing at each other. Well, on Christmas Eve, the English troops heard the German troops singing Christmas carols. And then they heard them say, Christmas, you know shoot, we know shoot. And so this idea began to grow. And then finally on Christmas morning, the Germans and some of the French soldiers started to crawl out of their trenches and not get shot. And then the the English kind of crawled out of their trenches and also did not get shot. And this is so fantastical that it seems mythical to, to people, really, historically, where they've tried to explain this way. But we have photographs of German and English soldiers that are sharing goodies with Christmas trees, with cigarettes together, like swapping them, and then we, even them playing some football or soccer, as you know it. Um, so we, just there in the middle of no man's land on Christmas Day. Sounds wonderful. Sounds beautiful, sounds romantic, sounds Christmassy, right? The problem is the very next day, the generals and the commanders said, we've had enough of that, now get back to war. And the very same people that were hugging and sharing were now shooting each other again. And that is just really an expression that we like to think of Christmas as this time where all our spontaneity of our goodness would shine forth and come out, but the reality doesn't always match that. We want peace, but we don't want peace on God's terms necessarily. That's why we need this gift of peace. Human beings have been fighting wars since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. You know, first it was Cain and Abel. And then on and on throughout the history to the the point where this idea in the Bible of what we call shalom, uh, this, this idea that is the peace of God, It kind of is a picture in the scripture where you've got like 
bricks that build up this wall that protect the city and make it safe to live in. That's the picture of shalom in the Bible. And so, uh, you know, we have instead a wall broken down and shattered and bricks laying all over the place. That's the picture the Bible gives us of our story as humanity from the time of Adam and Eve and their first sin and onward. So here's, here's what's happened. This is the reality that, that we need the gift of peace. And it was the same in ancient Israel. I'm going to have you turn to the passage we began this series with in Isaiah 9, if you'd go there as well, please. Um, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, because that's going to set the context for the rest of what we talk about this morning. Uh, and, and let me just read that to you to remind us what that says. It says, For to us a child's born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Again, wonderful promise, beautiful promise, but at the same time, here's the backdrop to this passage. Israel as a nation is about to be overrun by the Assyrians. Israel as a nation is putting their trust in peace treaties and ways to kind of get out of this instead of the Lord God. And, and, and really, when you study this time, this time was no different than our time today where people were very selfish from the beginning of the world to our time. And, and here's a picture of this. Um, there was a, the Assyrian people who were seen as the Nazis of their day, really. They were people who were cruel in battle. Um, one of their kings, Adad-Nirari II, described himself this way. I want to just show you how, what, what Israel was facing. He said, I am royal. I am lordly. I am mighty. I am honored. I am exalted. I am glorified. I am powerful. I am all-powerful. I am brilliant. I am lion-brave, whatever that means. I am many, I am supreme, I am noble. See, this is an expression to me of humanity and, and the way that we are and set in conjunction with this promise of the child and of Christmas, we get this picture that is the reality of humanity that we, we all live in and why we need a gift of peace. This is evil in, in its grandiosity and just the way that people, all of us, do this. This is where our lack of peace comes from. We all are lifted up. Maybe we don't say those things like King Adad Narari, but, but in so many ways we do live that way. So as we think about Advent, I want us to think about, first of all, that we need this gift of peace because as we look at our lives, as we look at our culture, our society, we see chaos in so many different ways, but we need to understand that we're not going to fix it ourselves. Israel was being called by God not to try to fix it themselves, and I'm just telling you, we cannot fix our problem ourselves, and this is part of the message of Christmas. Um, think about it. What strategies have you tried to uh, get peace in life? I know one that I have tried that I've failed at many times, and that is to change other people. Have you tried that? You think, like, if I could just change other people then I'd be at peace because they would be treating me better and uh, they would do what I want them to do. 
That's a failed strategy. And, and as you know, people don't like that when you try to change them. If you're a husband or a wife or a parent or a kid, it's like, yeah, that, you, like, you, you trying to force change on my life just doesn't work. We also try to change our circumstances, and, and no shade here, but like, you know, maybe you move cities. I know a lot of you guys have from Cali- come from California and elsewhere, so no shade here, but I'm just saying like, it, it, it is a strategy that some people think will solve all their problems and give them peace in life, and that simply isn't true. Boise is not paradise, so I like it quite a bit, but people think I'll move to a new city, I'll move maybe to a new church, new people, you know, new kind of just relationships because it's the old ones that are the problems, but chaos follows because we follow, and I am wherever I go. And then we try to change ourselves, right? Have you ever tried this? I mean, the um, self-help book genre in this country is just insane and replete with attempts and strategies of five ways to make your life the most awesome life ever. And so you try, you, you get something going for a while, you're better at first for a season, we're coming up on New Year's, I know we're all going to give it a go, right? we're going to work at it, but we don't succeed. We don't change ourselves, we're not the perfect version of ourselves, even if you get close. And so we're not at peace, and then, so that fails, and now we try to change Something by feeling something. We change how we feel. So we numb ourselves maybe with alcohol. This is a big time of the year where sadly a lot of people are alone. Please don't be alone. Find community here in this church, in your families. Cry out to somebody if you need help. But a lot of people do numb themselves with alcohol or with drugs or with media or with TV or whatever else it is. Like, look, we are junkies for comfort. Maybe it's not even bad. Maybe you're doing a good job, and you're like, okay, I'm going to set in my life. I was listening to this guy recently. I'm going to set my irreducible minimums, right? I'm going to um, have rhythms in my life. I'm at home for this many meals with my family. That's healthy for me. Uh, I'm going to work late these many nights, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just kind of have spiritual rhythms. Those are all wonderful things. But then life throws you a curveball, and it's like, oh, well, they just went out the window, So your peace can't even be in the rhythms and all that you established, though those are good things. So where can you get peace? Well, God's strategy is totally different, okay? And so what we need to look at is what God does here in this passage in Isaiah. What God does is that he launches a strategy, and he launches that strategy through a child. He launches a strategy through a child. Peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and who he is for us. In a world of uncertainty, in a life of brokenness around broken people, then peace is only through a person. Now, um, think about this. <laughs> um, it's, it's really strange in a way, because in the context of Isaiah, you've got this great Assyrian army, and you've got like their war machine, and if you put it in today's terms, like propaganda, and you've got media, and you've got, you know, man, they're going to destroy you. They're the greatest. And then God says, here's like a little baby. And put those up against each other. What looks more powerful? What looks stronger? What looks wiser? What looks better to trust in? Well, obviously, 
The armies look better to trust. And obviously our strategies are always going to look better, but God has a different strategy, and it's not a plan B, it's a plan A. His plan is to bring this child into the world and reveal something about himself and his heart and who he is and to show himself. I mean, think, this is the whole story of Christmas, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus Christ, it says, he did not have to grasp at God as if it was equality, that equality was something he had to grasp at, but he humbled himself and he took on the form of a human and a form of a servant, and then he died a shameful death on the cross. He did all of that, and that reveals his heart. This is who I am. I'm meek and lowly and gentle, and this is, this is who God is. It reveals God in a way that nothing else could. It is glorious in its simplicity and glorious in its naivety in one sense. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, With the birth of Jesus, the great kingdom of peace has begun. It's not a miracle that where Jesus has really become Lord over people, peace reigns. That there is one Christendom on the whole earth in which there is peace in the midst of the world. Only where Jesus is not allowed to reign, where human stubbornness, defiance, hate, and avarice are allowed to live unbroken, can there be no peace. Jesus does not want to set up his kingdom of peace by force, but where people willingly submit themselves to him and let him rule over them, he will bring then his wonderful peace. Because Jesus comes humbly in, in this form of a child. Now, That's great. It sounds good in lots of ways. I still sometimes have a hard time getting my head around that and just like, okay, great. So there's a baby. How does that work? And and people have this struggle with Christianity. Like, how does that actually work? And so sometimes I think it's helpful to look like in a culture that's not your own culture to see a story that might help. So I want to tell you guys a story about um, the peace child. And and, uh, has anyone heard that maybe? I'm, I'm sure some of you have. But this story essentially is a story about a, uh, a couple tribes in a place called Dutch Guinea and a missionary couple named Don and Carol Richardson. Uh, they were in Canada, received a call to go with their mission agency to uh, the Sawi people over in Dutch Guinea. And, and here's what they're, 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 I'll just tell you the, the culture of these people. And, and this hopefully will help us to understand Jesus a little bit better. So this culture, in this culture, they had two warring tribes. And the most heroic thing that you could actually do in these tribes was to betray one another. Like, then you were seen as the greatest warrior, right? So uh, they welcomed one guy in to their village, you know, from one of the tribes and said, like, hey, come in, you know, have some food. And he would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then eventually, one day, they're all in the village there. They're in the hut, and he's eating food. And they're like, oh, this isn't wonderful. And they all circle up, and they just kill him. And they celebrate because now they have been the greatest warriors ever. It kind of sounds like our culture, shame and honor culture on the media. I get a little bit it's like, it's like let's circle around someone and kill them. But um, anyway, so that, that, is, that was their tribe. That was their culture. And so when Don and Carol Richardson went to that um, particular area, to the Sawi people, they would share the story of Jesus with them. And as they shared that story, what do you think happened when they came to the point when Judas betrayed Jesus? He's the greatest warrior ever. That's a big problem if you're trying to share the importance of Jesus Christ with people and they're applauding the betrayer Judas. Okay, I'm just saying, like, if, if you never tried to share the gospel with someone, that would be a problem. Um, anyway, so what he did, though, is he's like, oh, God, like, how are we going to actually open this tribe up to this good news of Jesus? 
Well, as time went on, the, the tribes warred more and more and more, and they got to the point where they said, like, look, if you guys don't, like, calm down, we're going to have to take our, ourselves, our family, and the, the, the medical missionaries and the, and the, the medicine we have, we're going to have to get out of here. It's not safe. And so the, one of the leaders said, okay, look, we've got to stop this. And they instituted a, a tradition that they had, and that tradition was one tribe took a baby from one of the, the women in the tribe and had every warrior in that tribe touch that baby. And then took it over across the line, so to speak, across enemy lines, and had every warrior from the other tribe touch it, and then gave that child to a lady in that tribe. And that child would live and be raised in the other tribe, taken from its mother to that other tribe. And as long as that child was alive, there would be peace between the two tribes. I think you see the analogy and the illustration that Jesus as the child who comes who lives perfectly who then dies on the cross who then raises from the dead because he's he's eternal because he's resurrected because he never will die he becomes the eternal peace child that if you trust in him and just put your faith that he has become this offering of peace for you that then you will have eternal life and you will have life and peace now in this world really helpful sometimes to look in other places for stories to reveal more about Jesus. Well, this, there's so much to say about this gift of peace being in a, in a person in Jesus. I mean, there's so many ways in which we could talk about it. I mean, look at He's called all these names, right, like wonderful, wonderful and counselor. And, you know, while we're devising strategies to get our peace, God devises this strategy, comes under the radar to us and says, like, I'm going to win your heart and show you that, I, look, you might be at war with me. I'm not at war with you. That's God's good news of peace, that God who has all the power lays down his power, disadvantages himself for others and says, I'm going to wave the peace flag to you, my friends. As you shake your fist at me and say, I don't believe in you, God, I don't trust you, I don't believe you're good, I'm going to come down and I'm going to make peace with you. He flies under the radar. And this is the ministry of Jesus throughout his life. He just comes subtly and he comes and he says, even at the end of his ministry, oh, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He comes, he comes, and we need to turn to him as the person because our circumstances will never give us peace, but Jesus can. And so here's the, the wonderful thing that happens in um, the gospel. Is that everything listed here in Isaiah 9 is not something that you do. Have you noticed that? It's, it says here, he's all these things, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase in government, of government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it. You know, from this time and forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's going to do it. It's a gift, and it's in a person, and there's nothing you can do. Receive Jesus Christ. That is your only hope. And then, last point. Peace is a gift of an ever-expanding kingdom. And I want to spend some time on this because here, here, here's something I've seen happening um, for our hearts in, in this kind of age, in this time, is a lot of us get very upset that we think, like, the kingdom's falling, Right? 
whether it's the world or America or our neighborhood or whatever it may be, like, man, things are going horribly. And I want to say that that's propaganda. And, and what I mean by that is, is this. There, there are two streams of what's called eschatology or the end time study, and there's truth in both of them, okay? So I'm not saying anything contrary to Jesus, where Jesus said in Matthew, he did say that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be all these signs, and then the end comes, and it does paint kind of a bleak picture in some ways. But at the same time, Jesus said in Matthew, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And I wonder if we're too far leaning on this side of our eschatology and not far enough on this idea of Jesus' peace and government ever expanding in such a way that uh, we could be at peace in this life right now. You see, here's the reality. 2.3 billion people about claim to be Christians in this world today. That's a lot of people, okay? It's a lot of people. Um, not speaking of the quality of all those claims, but, but uh, there's revivals happening all over the place, like in the countries that you don't think are the most open. God doesn't care. Iran, revival. China, revival. South America, Africa, revival. It's just here in the West that we've kind of taken a dip for a while, and all I'd say is that's because we're not recognizing the, 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 the foundations of what we even have come to understand in how we live every day. I mean, just think about things like, and again, not getting into the details, but in a good way, feminism or the equality of women, that came out of a Christian worldview. No male, female, Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian. In Christ, all are one. Think about child advocacy. When the Romans used to put their children on the dump and leave them there, Christians would gather them. Think about all of these things. Think about special needs. Like we say as Christians, there is value to every single human being and they all have dignity and worth. The world never said that before. So we are those by God's grace who come in this long line and stream of a kingdom that's expanded already And it's not going anywhere until Jesus comes back. And this is recognized by so many people in so many different ways. When I was in England, there was a a writer in in the Times, Matthew Paris, and he wrote about this. He grew up in some in Africa, and then he went back there. And this is what he said. He, he, He came to realize this. He said that Africa needs Christianity, said, it confounds my ideological beliefs and, and, and stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and it's embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God, but as a confirmed atheist, I'm convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Um, NGOs, projects, these alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. He can't help but observe that. Tom Holland, an atheist historian, also observed that all the things that we kind of hide under the carpet, so to speak, in the West of these human rights and all that, that's all Christian language. It's all Christian language. So if you are not yet aware of, and I'm not justifying so many abuses of the church and of Christianity and history, but what I am saying is that Even the language for peace and good comes from the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. I 
remember talking with one of my friends in England one time, and he's like, I love everything about what you do and what you believe and the results in society. I just don't believe in Jesus. And I was like, man, that is like trying to like eat this beautiful cake and being like, I don't want to meet the baker. I don't care <laughs> like why he gave it to me as a gift. That's ridiculous. That's, that's absurd. If you taste the fruit, taste and see that the Lord is good, then you should be able to say, this kingdom of God with flawed people in it that have corrupted it, of course, is good. It's peace. I can see that that's what the trajectory of history has been. And so for us as believers, it's super, super important because we can either look to this life and we can say, you know what? Um, It's all going to end soon. It's terrible. And so I'm going to bunker up and I'm going to hide myself and I'm going to be like this. Or we can say, God's came to expanding and I'm going to be about not just experiencing the built up shalom in my life, but I'm going to take these bricks and I'm going to build them up in your life and in our city's life. And I'm going to be a peacemaker. Listen to what um, two things, two quotes. Now get us out of here soon. It says, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, The authority of this poor child, Jesus, will grow. It will encompass all the earth, and knowingly or unknowingly, all human generations until the end of the ages will have to serve it. It will be an authority over the hearts of people, but, uh, but the thrones and great kingdoms will grow strong or fall apart with this power. The mysterious and visible authority of the divine child over human hearts is more solidly grounded than the visible and resplendent power of earthly rulers. Ultimately, all authority on earth must serve only the authority of Jesus Christ over humankind. Whether you know it or not, you're in the story of this kingdom expanding. And then for us as a church, here's what a guy named Kenneth Bailey said. He said, The church living under the authority of Scripture is not a snowman in grave danger of melting away because of the burning rays of a hot secular sun that's beating down upon it. Rather, it's the flock of God saved by the divine shepherd who safely leads his sheep through any angry waters to quiet inlets where the sheep can drink and be renewed and go in and out as they live their lives and fulfill their ministries, having received amazing grace sufficient to overcome many dangers, toils, and snares. May it be so with us today. This is what God calls us to, to live in peace from the gift, through the Son, and in this kingdom, in this life. The playbook for peace is expressed in four scriptures. First of all, trust the Prince of Peace, Psalm 4.8. I'll lie down in peace, you alone make me dwell in safety. Second, yield to the Prince of Peace. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let this rule in your heart. Don't be dismayed by the world and its problems and its issues or by your life. Three, fix your eyes on the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you, says the Lord. And then Romans says then, pursue the Prince of Peace. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. This is the life in the way of peace that God has called us as Christians to. So, to close up here, look. I just, my main goal today was to encourage you guys, to exhort you guys, to love you guys, to to remind you of who Jesus is, and to say that this is the gift he's given you, let's live in it by God's grace. Confidently, expectantly, not anxiously, not fretting that only does harm. What's our response? Well, First of all, like, if you don't know this piece, here's what I'm going to tell you. 
Here's what, uh, again, I'm going to quote Bonhoeffer. The guy just has great words. He says, are you afraid of God's wrath? Do you have this feeling like I'm in trouble? Um, then go to the child in the manger and receive there the peace of God. Have you fallen? That's what that, if you're not yet a believer, look, God again is saying to you, look, peace terms, receive the child. Second, if you're a believer, have you fallen into strife and hatred with your sister or brother? Come and see how God out of pure love has become our brother and wants, us to, wants to reconcile us with each other. In the world, power reigns. This child is the prince of peace where he is, peace reigns. God calls us, like Jesus, to lay down our lives, our rights, our wills for others. Try that this holiday season. Hey, I want to go to this movie. I want to go to this movie. Why don't we do your thing? Like, I, I want to go to my parents. No, we should go to your, my parents this year. Like, why, why, don't, why don't you just, you know, lay down your rights, lay down your life like Jesus did in a simple, small thing. Try the small things first before you go for the big ones. You know, what do your kids want to do? Hey, you know, you don't always have to be the authoritarian dad. Like, hey, what kids, what do we want to do? What do your parents want you to do? Like, you could obey them for a change. Like, that's okay. <laughs> See an amen there, right? <laughs> like, these are the ways that we, brick by brick, build this life of peace when we, in the image of Jesus, lay down our lives. It's not about power, and as long as you hold on to power in relationships, this world tells you, postmodernism tells you that every relationship is a power relationship. That's a lie because Jesus Christ said, I'm going to come and give up my power, and I'm going to empower you by God's grace. So enjoy Christmas. Enjoy peace. Go into it looking to expand God's kingdom if you're a Christian. I'm going to pray this uh, last scripture over us, and then we will uh, have a song of worship. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are um, what we aren't. You are not worried. You're not stressed about the checkbook or the bank account or the plans or the gifts or about even the bigger things of justice and righteousness that should weigh on our minds and hearts. Lord, you are the Prince of Peace, Jesus. You came. Lord, I pray that every heart would receive you in some way. I pray that um, we would accept your terms, and I pray, God, that we would then be sent to be peacemakers for your glory in this season, Lord, and build up your kingdom because that's what you're doing. We trust you. We love you. Help us to be hopeful and at rest and trust in you, in Jesus' your name, amen.